from hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels. WestCoastTraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com. Welcome to Off the Page, a weekly podcast produced by the Comox Valley Record. I'm Erin Halschuk, a journalist with The Record. Join me as we take a deeper look into the people and stories within the Comox Valley. Gregory Arcos is a professor in the Department of Physics, Engineering, and Astronomy at Vancouver Island University in Nanaimo. He's here today to talk about the night sky, particularly this summer, and any particular astronomical events island residents should keep an eye out for. Welcome to the podcast, Gregory. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. So let's start a little bit about yourself and your background in astronomy. How did you get into the field and what really sparked your interest, both personal and professionally? It's really kind of a roundabout route. If if you look at my family history, I come from a family of artists. So I have a mom who was a Russian-trained prima ballerina who actually taught at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. I've got a father who was an actor back in Hungary in the day, a film and and movie actor, and a sister who is an actor, and then a brother who is a fine artist and an art teacher. So it really is quite an interesting family background that I would end up being the one that's a scientist. But, But what kind of came out of that was that despite the fact that there was this very artistic bent, my brother and my mom in particular were both really keen on on space, on space stuff. My brother, um, when he was younger, wanted to be a, a designer for NASA missions, and he was really into manned space flight. He knew all the Apollo stuff. He was a little older than I was, so as I was growing up, I was really exposed. He'd build these models, and he would show me this stuff, and it really kind of drew me in. And and my mom was, uh, for all her ballet work, she was actually uh, really crazy about reading science fiction. So Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, you would never have guessed it from looking at her life. And she loved watching Star Trek. So it kind of got exposed to all this stuff as a kid. And it kind of never really left. My interest was always there. The fun part of it was that I, for whatever reason, even though I, I loved the stuff even at a young age, I never really considered it as a career option. It was sort of one of those things that you just kind of were interested in. And as I went off and had to make serious decisions about, you know, uh, high school, about where I'm going to go to university, what I'm going to do, I ended up in the in the geophysics stream at university. And I was going to go into some sort of natural resource exploration kind of job. And I had some offers. And, and it wasn't until my last year of my degree, I was finishing up my honors degree, and I took a course on planetary physics. I'll do this. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's kind of what I want to do. Uh, that That's, you know, I don't really want to be doing resource exploration. I want to be doing that. And so I kind of did a complete change of plans and and kind of said no to all these jobs and ended up going to grad school at UBC doing space physics. And then from there, it went on to some postdoc work at the University of Calgary. And then I was exposed, given a chance to do some teaching there at the University of Calgary. And that went really well. And I found I really had a passion for not only the science, but sharing it. And I think that took me a long, long ways around. Finally, ended up getting full-time job here at Vancouver Island University. From your astronomical perspective and your academic studies, are there different perspectives on the night sky or even just different ways of viewing it, even just from a small geographical distance from the prairies as opposed to the West Coast? It is such a different experience. Yeah, it, growing up as a kid, I mean, in Winnipeg, 
the northern lights are, you know, something that you see quite frequently. So that's kind of part of your psyche, if you like, right? And I remember being just fascinated by them as a kid and, and still am even today. Although you, it's hard, you're hard-pressed to see them here on the coast. It's just one of those things that you just, because of the geographical location, you're just not located in the right place to see them very often. In fact, I meet students all the time who've never seen them who live here on the coast. And, and it's always exciting for them when we get a chance to do something like that and kind of get them to see these things. But it's still not quite the same as the shows that we tend to get in the prairies. And, and of course, the clear skies, I mean, here on the coast, one of the challenges for doing observational work with students or on my own is that frankly it's cloudy a lot it, it rains a lot here and even though it's warm and it's nice that way thick atmosphere you're right at the bottom you're at sea level you're looking up through all this atmosphere and it's moist air and it's often cloudy and it makes it really challenging it was easier in some ways to do the observational parts although you know i had sessions where i was working with students in calgary where we were out observing in minus 25 and I can tell you, there's a whole other element to, to that where I have students complaining here when it's like five degrees or whatever. And, uh, and there we're out at minus 25 trying to do an observation set. So, you know, there's trade-offs for sure. Definitely differences for sure. But, you know, you make the best of it. Do you have one particular astronomical event that you've witnessed in your career that really, really stands out in your mind? Maybe a rare event or something that you weren't expected oh. to see? Something that really is a highlight for you? It's kind of hard to actually pick a single thing because like, there's so many of these really cool events. I would say that there's a few things I've seen that have really stood out. When I was a, a grad student at UBC, it just happened that while I was there, we had uh, Comet Hale-Bopp show up. And, and, and I don't know if you remember that back in 1997, it was probably the naked eye comet of the century, right? It was one of those things, even in Vancouver, you could look up and see it in the night sky clearly and this big long it had two tails and and i remember just being completely blown away that and i didn't appreciate it maybe as much as i do now after having so many years of not having these comets the students always asking to see one it's like well i can't just create one like you have to wait and uh, and they're usually not as impressive as hale bop was but that was really quite something i think it was something i wish i wish i had a chance again to maybe see something like that I think here in Nanaimo, we've had a few chances to get out and do some viewing of these lunar eclipses. And those have always been fun, these total lunar eclipses, these blood moons. And I think that's always, always exciting. The students are always fascinated by the color and, and the fact that it's a slow moving thing. So you can kind of take your time and enjoy it as opposed to one of these, you know, it's just done in a minute or two. And uh, we've had lots of sessions on the rooftops. And yeah, the other one that really stands out to me, uh, an event I took, I went and made a point of going and seeing was the total solar eclipse in 2017. So I had seen one, funnily enough, as a kid in Winnipeg when uh, back, way back when I was a, you know, a young elementary student. But I always want to see another one. And they're hard because they occur very specific locations and they're very short duration. And, and so it's one of those things hard to get to. And I, I made a point because this particular 2017 eclipse was going to happen close by. So uh, we did a road trip, went down to Idaho, found a little spot, Weezer, Idaho. It was really a magical event. And it's something that again as an adult experiencing it and and being able to kind of really savor it it, it went so fast so a few minutes the actual eclipse part but just the lead up and then the event and then seeing the reactions of people sharing that with thousands of people it, it really was quite something i'm looking forward to actually trying to get to the 2024 eclipse so it really was one of those things that i would i couldn't recommend it enough to anybody who has never seen one make the effort to plan something to see one of these in your lifetime because they're really quite remarkable and there's really nothing else like them.
And speaking of astronomical events, maybe not traveling quite as far, but looking ahead <laughs> at the summer, are there any particular events that people on the island can keep an eye out for? I know that sometimes there's some regular ones coming up in August. Either those with or without access to telescopes, are there any ones that you recommend keeping an eye out for? You know, there's a lot of these cool big events, like I said, eclipses, but there's also all, all kinds of stuff always going on. And it's kind of funny that right now we're actually just in the process of getting to the tail end of this really neat planetary alignment that's going on. So we have the all the naked eye planets have lined up in the sky. And it's an event that occurs every couple of decades. We get this kind of alignment that you can see these things. And so if you're a, an early bird, especially, you don't need anything special, no special equipment required, just need to be able to set your alarm and be able to get up at 345 in the morning and go out and look in the east. And if you do that, you should see at this point still Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Mercury will be kind of lost in the glow of the sun at this point. It'll be very difficult to see. But you can see at least most of those planets. They'll be strung out like little jewels in a, in a line. You mentioned the recurrence of the Perseids, which is, again, the big one in August, typically. So the Perseids are a meteor shower, and it's a regular one. It's often the best meteor shower on average over the course of the year so it's nice because it's in the summer so you can be outside and it's warm and you can look at this and the perseids this year are going to occur i think the peak will be somewhere around august 12th 13th and the problem then is that full moon is right around there so you're competing with the full moon to look for the Perseids. So the, the good news is, though, that the Perseids are, are kind of, they kind of ramp up and then they kind of taper off. So it's not like there's only that one night. That's the peak night where you get the, the most meteors per hour. But if you kind of are a few days, you know, a week to either side of that, you can still see a number of Perseids. So it's not like the Perseids sort of turn on and turn off. So my suggestion would be actually to maybe go post that date because the new the full moon happens and then the peak happens so if you're kind of to look you know a week afterwards that kind of time frame the moon will be past full and you'll have darker skies to look at and you'll kind of see more of these things and uh, again if you're if you're lucky the, you might see you know a meteor or two per minute but you don't need any special gear again you can just kind of take your lawn chair get a beverage go and sit out lean back look up taking as much of the sky with your eyes as you can and then just relax and usually i suggest 10 p.m onward if you're in town or you know on the island here uh, it's always fun if you haven't seen it before is to see the international space station pass overhead it's uh, up there orbiting every 90 minutes and so you can actually go online with nasa and you can kind of look up you know where is iss going to be and it'll give you actual times and, and they're like good to the to the almost the second so it'll tell you, you know, there's a, a three-minute pass happening, and, and the ISS will go from this place in the in the west to the east. And you go out and look, and there's this bright, super bright-looking thing kind of cruising through the sky. You can't miss it. It's really bright, and it moves pretty fast, a couple of minutes across the whole sky. And that's the space station. So if you haven't had a chance to see that, it's kind of fun to actually see it and kind of have a look at this thing cruising by and think there are human beings up there, right? You know, 400 kilometers up there. And they're, uh, they're, you know, waving at you. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. That's, again, no special equipment required, right? Just go out and, and have a clear enough sky that you can see things and then away you go. And then as a maybe a things to watch for down the road a bit, not really summer anymore, but we do have a, a total lunar eclipse coming up in November. So again, there'll be a chance if the weather, if the weather holds, it'll be an early morning eclipse. So you'll have to be up, you know, midnight and beyond. But again, they, they can be quite spectacular. And again, no special equipment needed. 
you yeah. touched on it a little bit there in terms of the, uh, the location to make sure you really get far away from any lights, anything like that. Are there particular locations on Vancouver Island that you really recommend? Yeah, I would say for things like that, like I said, for this planetary alignment or for the Perseids, all you really want to do is just be someplace where you're not directly like under a streetlight. So you really don't need to go to some super dark location to see either one of those. I mean, I watch, I'm watching the planetary alignment off my back deck in Nanaimo, and I, you know, I don't have any streetlights right there, but I'm not in a particularly dark location either. And same with the Perseids. I'll often go and just go in my backyard and just make sure that the neighbor's lights aren't kind of shining on my face kind of thing, and, and that's good enough. Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device, so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know. One of the latest kind of topical issues about astronomy is Elon Musk's SpaceX program and getting civilians into space and obviously at an astronomical cost, but having that program available to people who may otherwise have never had the opportunity to go up into space. What are your thoughts on that? And have you been following that program at all? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it goes back to I think what we were talking about earlier, right? That my, my brother was really keen on manned space flight. And it's certainly, even for me, we didn't talk about it, but one of the, one of the reasons I went and got my PhD was I was thinking I might want to have the, leave the door open to apply to the astronaut program here in Canada. And I never ended up doing that, but that was always kind of in the back of my mind as it would be kind of a neat thing to be able to do. I think the fact is that, you know, as human beings, I think we are in our hearts explorers. And I think that that curiosity that's driven us for the entire length of human civilization to, to look at what's beyond the horizon, to, to see what's beyond the sea, to, to look over the next range of mountains. We're not content to just sit and, and be, right? We want to know. And I think that this, this is one of those next frontiers is the oceans on the earth, right? Which are again, a big unknown in many ways. And then there is the, the vastness of the space around us. And I think we, we, you know, we send our probes and our robots. We have our rovers on Mars doing their thing. But I think really, ultimately, we need to go to these places. We need to be the ones there, physically boots on the ground, mainly because humans are just so much more capable than even the most elaborate, best built, most expensive robot. You know, a robot on Mars is great. But a human could do in, in days what it takes a robot years to accomplish. And never mind that they can get into places and do things and make judgments that, you know, robots still can't. And, you know, we've, we've learned so much from the Apollo days back when the astronauts, a few missions that got to the moon and the rocks they brought back and the samples. You know, we sent a, a geologist to the moon and all the stuff we learned from that. I think that it's always been there and it's been a shame that for 50 years we basically essentially didn't have any people out there in space. Like we basically were in low earth orbit and that was it. And I think that the natural extension is to revamp that program and to push those boundaries again. Places like, you know, Elon Musk's program and others like it, like the, the Blue Origins program. I, I don't know whether the general public, like it's not like you and I can buy a ticket on these flights. You know, I don't think we can afford that any time in the near future. But the fact that people know about manned space flight again and that there is this sense that you can do this and you can do it at a reasonable cost, it's a stepping stone. And I think that it will reinvigorate, maybe it has already, the notion that we should be kind of looking outward again rather than sort of being content to sit. And I think it's a good thing that way. I mean, there's lots of arguments, you know, to the contrary, both in terms of costs and environmental impact and these things. And I would say that 
If you look at the whole of it, there are many other places one could point to where there is significantly more impact, negative impact and cost and everything else. So th this is a small thing in the bigger picture, but it's a big thing for us as human explorers. And I think that the payback we get, what we get back from doing this is that we understand the universe and ourselves better. And I think that's always a huge payoff. The cost that we put into that, the payoff is so much bigger than what we, what we actually spend. And I think we can't say that of a lot of things that we spend money on. Um, there's also a pragmatic part to this. We talk about it in my class and talk to students is that uh, if you think about it, the earth is this delicate little place and we're very vulnerable. I mean, all I have to do is go back 65 million years and ask the dinosaurs how secure they felt about their existence. And the truth is all it would take is a space rock, a few kilometers in size to hit the earth and we would be gone. We'd be a footnote. And right now, this is the only place we have. Uh, we have no place else to go. Even if we knew something was coming, we would be able to do very little about it. Really, we need to diversify. We need to figure out how to get humans elsewhere. We need, If we want the human race to survive and to be around for a long time, we have to get past a lot of this technological stuff and whatever, and we have to get on to, to doing better, bigger things. And I think part, this is the first steps, the first little steps of that. And it's an important piece. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. That's this edition of Off the Page, produced by the Comox Valley Record. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. Email us at offthepage at comoxvalleyrecord.com. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green. Offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.